This is KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna, listener-supported public radio for the central Kenai Peninsula. You're tuned into the Kenai Conversation. I'm Riley Board. Today on the Kenai Conversation, we're talking to scientists from the Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium and the Mayo Clinic, who are collaborating on a major research project about smoking among Alaska Native people. We're talking about how the research came to be, the details of the study, and the possible implications of the work. Stay tuned. To start off today, I would love to have everyone tell me their names and tell me a little bit about what they do for work. Tim, do you want to start us off? Sure. Hi, uh, my name is uh, Timothy Thomas. I am a research physician at the Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium in Anchorage. Uh, I have been uh, working in research at ANTHC for the last uh, uh, 10 plus years. I am background in family practice and epidemiology and have worked in Alaska for many years, both as a clinician and a researcher. Thank you. Thank you. Brianna, do we wanna head to you next? Sure, thanks. I'm Brianna Tranby. I'm a program coordinator for the Behavioral Health Research Program at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Um, We've been working with groups like ANTHC in Alaska and South Central Foundation and other organizations in Alaska for many, many years. Um, So we're talking about one of our new studies that we have in development. Awesome. And Antonia, let's go to you. All right. So I'm Antonia. I'm a research coordinator in the Behavioral Health Research Program at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. I work on a couple of studies with um, Dr. Christy Patton's program, um, and this is my first study working with the Alaska Native population. Um, And for this project, I've been um, helping out with both recruitment and um, our intervention. Well, thank you all. And before we get too far into anything, I would love to just get an overview of the study and its goals. Um, Sure. I'll start off and then maybe uh, Brianna and Antonio can jump in. But um, basically the the idea is uh, to uh, develop an effective and uh, culturally aligned uh, aligned approach uh, to help Alaskan people quit smoking. Um, We know that uh, smoking rates are very high in Alaska and uh, particularly high amongst Alaska Native people, and that is a concern among, uh, of tr- uh, Alaska Native tribal leadership. Um, and uh, multiple efforts have taken place to try and bring smoking rates down, but uh, smoking uh, rates persist at high, high rates. And uh, uh, we're looking at uh, sort of novel approaches to try and uh, get people to quit smoking. And so this project is 
is in an attempt to do that um, using uh, financial incentives uh, to help people quit smoking, uh, but also including um, um, family members in in the in the uh, intervention as well to to help smokers quit. Uh, just by way of an overview of the study, um, so we will be recruiting Alaska Native people who smoke, uh, who are interested in quitting. Uh, we will enroll them into the study along with a family member or a person they choose to be the support person in quitting. And um, the person who smokes will, will be uh, uh, doing uh, weekly check-ins for the first month. And then um, uh, several time points in the course of uh, the next uh, uh, several months out to six months. Um, and if they test negative at these time points, they will get uh, escalating uh, rewards to help them uh, um, stay quit. And um, so that's it in a sort of very brief, uh, very brief overview. Uh, we aim to recruit close to um, 1,200 people just about into this study. Um, and so I'll stop there and, and see if uh, Brianna and Antonio want to chime in on it. I don't think so. I think that was a pretty thorough overview of the study. Where I want to start is by asking why smoking rates are higher in Alaska than other states and, and why they're higher among Alaska Native communities than others, or or what the, the theories on that are and, and explanations. I don't know that we have a full understanding of why rates are high uh, among Alaska Native people. Um, we know that uh, historically, um, Tobacco was not used uh, among Alaska Native people uh, on the whole. Um, and certainly, uh, so it was introduced by, you know, Western fur traders, et cetera, who, who brought tobacco, introduced tobacco into uh, Alaska. Um, <clears throat> uh, it has not really had a, a sort of traditional um, or a spiritual type of uh, uh, use as, as, as maybe uh, in other uh, uh, um, indigenous populations uh, in, the, in the Southwest United States. Um, so, but why, why it's so high is, is a good question. And um, I'm not sure that we fully understand, understand why that is. Got it. And in terms of the process for the study, I'm, the financial incentives component is, is sticking out to me as interesting. I'm curious how common that is in in research like this in smoking cessation projects. How common is it to use financial incentives as a component of that study? I don't want to hog the airways here, but so in our development of this research proposal, uh, we were um, able to sort of look at the literature and there's a, a few studies that have been done uh, looking at uh, financial incentives for tobacco cessation. They were all quite successful and a lot more successful than sort of the control arms. So that's why we decided to sort of pursue this. Uh, in fact, uh, financial incentives have been some of the most interventions uh, to get people to quit tobacco use. Uh, as far as their, the, those types of interventions going beyond research and translating into sort of the world of 
clinical care or insurance companies taking uh, incentive uh, approaches. Uh, I'm not aware of any uh, in, in the world of tobacco cessation per se. I think there are other initiatives around weight loss, perhaps, and getting people uh, physical activity, uh, but I'm not aware of any in the tobacco cessation world. Brianna or Antonia? No, I think that's true. And I think um, just to build on that as well, one of the novel aspects of the study is including the family in the financial reward. So it's not just rewarding the individual for quitting because we know that smoking is something that affects the family system as a whole. Um, so that's been something that's been really important throughout the development of the study is finding ways to incorporate the family, not only as support people, but also rewarding them um, along with the person who smokes as they quit together. Interesting. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about the involvement of the family in this study and also the involvement of the family in the financial incentives? Yes. So um, with the family members support, um, we do provide them family support resources that are specific to Alaska. Um, some examples are like how to support a loved one in quitting smoking and also um, informational sheets on secondhand smoke or the health, the possible health benefits of quitting smoking. Um, so the family member's role is really to um, just be the support person kind of in between our check-in time points for the financial incentive intervention aspect. Um, and because we're also rewarding the family member, um, that reward is also acting like as a motivator for the family member to still support their person who smokes, um, even if, say, at a certain time point, um, they haven't quit smoking, so they don't get the reward. So overall, it's um, like the rewards and the family support are both motivators for um, the index participant or the person who smokes to quit. Well, maybe I'll just jump in also in terms of just, you know, when we, when we started uh, the initial sort of development of this idea uh, and we're discussing it, here at ANTHC, we have a uh, research consultation committee that's constituted of uh, Alaska Native people who work at ANTHC. They're not researchers necessarily, um, but but um, they were they were very clear that that uh, this a study like this needed to involve the family, and and the logistics of trying to enroll. The whole family into the study were were a little bit uh, sort of beyond the scope of the study. So we said, okay, we'll we'll have the smoker uh, select one person, and it it doesn't have to be an immediate family member living in the household. It could be somebody that they feel will be support them in their attempts to quit. Um, some somebody who um, will, yeah, again, who they trust and will support them. So. Um, but that was a very important um, element that uh, that was stressed by our research consultation committee and and with other uh, people that we spoke to. Um, so I think it's that is very novel. Uh, we haven't come across other studies that are using and rewarding family members to the same extent. Um, so I'll stop there. Interesting. 
Yeah, and, I, and I'd love to return to this idea of the involvement of the family and and especially the, you mentioned, tribal leadership interest in this research. But first, I, I would love to learn about the logistics of the project you mentioned. Check-in points and, and recruitment. Can we talk a little bit about what setting up that project has been like and what the logistics will look like? <laughs> yeah, yep, I'm happy to talk about that. Um, so there's actually three different phases to the study. So the first phase that we had um, was we did qualitative interviews. So we talked to um, people who smoke. So Alaska Native people who smoke and family members and also Alaska tribal health system stakeholders. And we talked to them about the study that we had designed to get their input on it. And they had some suggestions and feedback for us. So we made some of those changes. And now we're currently in the process of doing a beta test of the study um, where we just have 10 people who smoke and their family members. And we're, uh, we're doing that to work out some of the kinks, which has been a really helpful process for us, I will say, just um, before we start enrolling, you know, 1200 people across the state, it's been really helpful to work out some of the bugs along the way. Um, but Antonia, do you maybe want to talk more about the beta test and then how we're using that to develop the planned randomized trial? Yeah, so the beta test um, involves 10 pairs of Alaska Native people who smoke in the family members. So it is a much smaller trial before we move on to the um, larger randomized controlled trial. So for the beta test, um, we are really kind of exploring how feasible it will be to deliver the rewards, um, certain certain logistics and systems that we have in place um, in preparation for recruiting that much larger sample. Um, so uh, I think, well, for the beta test, as far as recruiting participants um, and getting interest in the study, um, we have been working a lot with like social media ads with both the Mayo Clinic and the Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium. Um, so they've also been helping with um, like recruiting participants um, in both the beta test and the larger randomized controlled trial. Um, and we've also, um, for the larger randomized controlled trial, we'll also explore like local newspapers and local radio stations to um, help represent um, the more rural and remote rural areas in Alaska. Um, for our beta test, um, most of our participants um, are located in Anchorage or um, Juneau, kind of the more larger areas of Alaska or more um, like more urban areas. What are some of the things you've discovered, kinks you've worked out through the beta test? Yeah, so the um, as Tim mentioned, there are regular check-ins that people do at home. So we send the person who smokes, we send them, um, it's kind of like a carbon monoxide breathalyzer test. It's a little thing that they blow into and it connects to the phone and then it measures their carbon monoxide level. Uh, we also have like a saliva swab test and those are standard tests to check for uh, the presence of 
smoking, um, like carbon monoxide and um, cotinine and, you know, detect if people have been smoking, basically. Um, so we send those to people and they do the tests at home and they do check-ins at uh, week one, week two, week three, week four, and then also three months later and six months later. So we have these regular check-in time points for people to do, and then um, they need to get paid you know, ideally as soon as they take the test so that we can reinforce and reward them for smoking abstinence um, in some parts of the state and with some of the systems that we were initially hoping that we could do. We've just had some logistical complications with the payment process and getting that out right away. Um, it's typical on research studies for people to be sent uh, like a visa cash card, which is not always great if you're getting, you know, a $20 gift card regularly. That's, those aren't always easy to spend, um, but that's the typical way. So we've been trying some new things and um, some things have worked and some things we're still working out. So just the, the regular consistent payments going to many different people across the state is that's, I think, been the biggest challenge so far. Have you people have been really, really um, understanding and, and we appreciate their patience. Have you settled on a payment method for the larger study yet? So we've been exploring, um, you know, in the last, as we've sort of learned that this physical payment of gift cards is problematic um, and sending things certified mail and then people not making it to the post office in time to pick up and the card gets returned. So all these kinds of issues, uh, we are exploring more of a sort of a, a digital uh, a card that uh, people could get their rewards on. They would get notified that they, you know, they got the award is approved. They got $50 now. And the next week, maybe they have a state quit. They test negative. They get the next level of award. Um, and they can check uh, uh, on their digitally, electronically, they can, they can see what their reward is and they can, Various um, uh, sort of um, applications that we're exploring, you know, may make them um, be able to access an Amazon gift card uh, with that accumulated amount that they they have through their awards. I should note that uh, sort of Antonio, we've been talking about this randomized control trial. What a randomized control trial means that people are randomized, and so so we don't. We don't know that, give, we believe that incentives will work, but we, in the world of science and research, we have to sort of prove it because nobody's going to adapt it if we just say it's going to work. Uh, we have to sort of, we have to demonstrate. And what that usually means in, in our world is of research is, you know, randomizing people. Some people will get rewards for the six months each time they are quit, that they're, they're tested and they're quit, we'll get an escalating amount. There will be an arm of uh, ran, a group of people who get recruited, who will get the standard sort of treatment, standard care, standard counseling around uh, tobacco cessation. Um, and, and that's an important part of this, this research project into the sort of third phase is this randomized trial. So. Um, Want to be sure that people understood that that not everybody will be getting rewards you're listening to the kenai conversation 
where we're talking to Mayo Clinic researchers studying smoking cessation among Alaska Native communities. Our guests are Dr. Timothy Thomas with the Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium and Brianna Tranby and Antonia Young with the Mayo Clinic. So when it comes to recruitment for that larger study, it's it's 1,200 individuals, right? Which is actually 2,400 individuals and 1,200 pairs or no? 600, 600, 600 roughly 600 pairs, 600 pairs. Got it. Yeah. So you mentioned social media ads earlier and potentially doing other, other marketing in the future. How has the process of recruitment been going and how are you, you know, trying to distribute that across the, the vastness of Alaska and the different types of communities in the state? So when we've been working with Mayo Clinic to develop the ads, um, We've found that Facebook has been the most successful platform to recruit our participants, and um, that does reach um, statewide Alaska, Um, and we have been getting a handful. Most of them are coming from the Anchorage area, but we have been getting a handful from the more remote areas of Alaska. Um, I will note, like, at the time of this interview that... um, there is currently an outage in like Northwest Alaska. So it's been more difficult or it was more difficult to recruit the, the more remote rural areas. Um, unfortunately, I don't think there's a way, at least with Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter to really target the more rural areas. So that's definitely something that will um, work to improve for the larger trial. Yeah, I, w- I was thinking of the quintillion outage as we were talking and wondering if things like outages or other technological logistical issues beyond recruiting, you know, will, will be an issue when it comes to the execution of the study. Is that something you're anticipating being a problem in the future? Yeah, so we, we do know that uh, internet access is needed for the study. People have to complete the weekly check-ins and send things to us electronically. Um, We do have some iPads that our study has purchased that we will be able to loan out to some people. And we've connected those. um, They can not only be connected to Wi-Fi, but they're also connected to GCI cellular um, because we understand that there's pretty good coverage even in more of the rural areas of Alaska with those. So um, if someone hears about us through, you know, a radio ad or a flyer or something in a newspaper and they want to participate, but they don't have a smart device or they don't have regular access, uh, we do have quite a few iPads that we can loan out to people to try and alleviate that. Yeah. And then when it comes to the timeline for the project overall when are you hoping to start the larger study and and what's the timeline from there on so we're hoping to start the larger trial um by around spring or summer of next year um just to give us enough time to um incorporate our lessons learned from the beta test um and once we do start that part We do anticipate it'll take um, a few months or at least a few months to recruit our participants. So perhaps another year or year and a half after we begin our recruitment for that trial. Um, The overall study is a five-year project that began in um, November 2022. So um, 
there is also an implementation aspect to the study where we use the lessons we learned from the randomized controlled trial to learn how we can implement it in um, different organizations and different tobacco cessation programs throughout Alaska. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Is that something that you would be implementing or resources you would be providing to other organizations to implement for themselves? Well, someone else might, or go ahead, Tim. Well, I think, I mean, I think um, it's a good question. Um, I think if if the evidence shows that this is an effective way to get people to quit, um, Certainly, institutions like ANTHC, I don't want to commit our leadership to the, immediately adopting uh, this, um, but I think there would be interest in pursuing this through through our tobacco cessation programs at ANTHC. Clearly, there's a there's a, a, a cost to this, and people may have lots of questions about why are you paying people to, to quit tobacco use? Um, and maybe I should have brought this up earlier, but, but I mean, the the cost of tobacco to the healthcare sort of setting in Alaska is huge. Um, I was just looking up, you know, it's estimated that um, for each year, it costs about Alaska about $575 million uh, in direct medical costs, um, an additional $261 million in lost productivity. Tobacco, uh, more people, uh, more Alaskans die from tobacco-related uh, uh, illnesses uh, than they do from suicide, motor vehicle crashes, chronic liver disease, homicide, and HIV/AIDS combined. So it's a huge issue, and so I think there are detractors who will say, "Yes, why you shouldn't be paying people to quit smoking?" But but the cost of continued smoking for any given individual. You know, we estimate, based on these numbers, uh, is about three thousand dollars per year per smoker in cost to the medical system. So, you know, if we pay somebody seven hundred fifty bucks or them and their partner, you know, fifteen hundred bucks, and they quit smoking, you know, we've not only sort of done a service to them individually, but hopefully, you know, long term down the line to the the healthcare costs for us as a society. That's super interesting. And yeah, I was going to ask about sort of the real life applicability of financial incentives for smoking cessation. And something that strikes me about what you're saying is, yeah, it seems like the financial trade-offs of, of quitting versus, you know, remaining a smoker and putting certain strains on the medical system are compelling, but I, you know, are the same organizations or entities paying the costs of helping someone quit smoking and the costs of their um, potential medical bills? You know, how do you see this playing out in in the real world when it comes to who's taking on those costs? That's a question that perhaps is a bigger question in how how we as a society in this country spend our our healthcare dollars. Is it on prevention? uh versus treatment and and uh, i think you know historically we've spent a lot of our money on the treatment end of the spectrum and less on the prevention end and so i think um that's 
that's a big question. And I think, you know, our politicians need to weigh in on this in terms of where are we going to put our, our healthcare dollars? Well, unless someone else has something to add about that, I'd, I'd love to return to the origins of this study. And Tim, you know, earlier on, you mentioned tribal leadership interest in investigating, you know, smoking cessation among Alaska Native communities. What what were the ideas that led to doing this research in the first place and, you know, and who was behind them? Um, well, I think it's it's sort of been an evolution. I think uh, our our collaborators at Mayo, Doctor Doctor Chrissy Patton, who's who's not on this call, has been engaged in in research with Alaska Native people for for a number of years, um, both in Anchorage um, and uh, out in the YK uh, region, and has explored various sort of um, avenues, uh, working with youth to try to get them to quit, working with uh, sort of uh, older, uh, f- with women who had a sort of a mentor type person to try and help them to quit, various various initiatives. Uh, we worked uh, with, uh, with Mayo on a project uh, to try and help pregnant women quit smoking. And, and unfortunately, sort of None of these, none of these uh, studies really demonstrated that they were effective in getting people to quit. And maybe if they did quit, it was very temporary, and people uh, um, came back to, to to smoking. So, so I think you know we were sort of looking around for different ideas. Um, I'd actually, I don't know. I think many years ago, I'd heard about a, a program. I think it was in Denver where they were trying to. This is tangential, but they were paying young adolescent women to not get pregnant, and so was, I, that was part of my sort of how I came to this. Like, why can't we pay people to quit smoking? Uh, Dr. Patton came, you know, knows the literature. She's been involved in um, tobacco cessation world for for many years. So, I think it was sort of an evolution of our some of our ideas and then conversations with tribal leadership around um, around this idea. And uh, that's kind of how we, we came to, to this, to this initiative. And, and the involving family or, you know, close, close personal friends aspect, the community aspect, how did that become a part of the project? And, and how do you think that will influence the, the outcomes of this research? So that was that was definitely came out of our conversations with our research consultation committee, and uh, and other other folks uh, here at NTHC and around the state, and really speaks to, I think the the importance of family and um, in in Alaska Native culture, uh, that that uh, it's more of a collective effort rather than an individual effort, and so I think. Um, yeah, this 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 study really tries to speak to that uh, that importance of of family and and community. Well, I know the research consultation committee. Um, they did offer really great feedback on like what the family member should be, or like kind of um, having as little limitations as possible to who the family member is. Um, 
they suggested, um, I think, as we mentioned earlier, like they don't have to live in the same household as the person who smokes. Um, and like they don't have to be um, blood family. They could be um, a friend, a neighbor, just anybody who the participant considers a part of their family or support system. So I think... Well, I remember another thing, too, um, that I think the Research Consultation Committee um, made note of was exploring if the family member also smokes. Um, that's another thing that um, we'll explore in the randomized controlled trial as well. Um, so I think the main goal was to, like, as Tim said, really incorporate the family value that's present in Alaska Native culture while also kind of addressing like different kinds of family relationships and family dynamics, whether the family member also smokes to see how their support could play a role in helping Alaska Native people quit smoking. What will the responsibilities of the family member friend be throughout the study? So the family member, um, we do kind of give them a, the broad responsibility of acting as the support person. Um, we don't ask that they complete the same survey questions as the person who smokes, um, but we do send them um, text messages um, related to the results of their person who smokes smoking status check-in tests. Um, so along with the person who smokes, we do notify them if their result was positive or negative for smoking, as well as their um, reward that they got or the reward reward amount um, that they got from their person's result. Um, so uh, throughout the study, they only have to do a baseline survey at the beginning of their participation and then a follow-up survey at the end. So the baseline survey was just... Um, some demographic questions, whether they also smoke, um, and um, their identity to Alaska Native culture, um, subsistence, how much of their food comes from hunting and gathering. Um, and during the follow-up survey, they will be asked about their um, experience with the intervention and how their experience supporting the family member was, um, how helpful they found the resources that we provided them. If you're just joining us, we're talking to scientists from the Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium and the Mayo Clinic about their research on smoking cessation in Alaska. This is the Kenai Conversation. probably should have should have asked this question earlier but I've been I've been thinking about this as you as you explained the logistics of the project how large is the team both in Minnesota and Alaska that's 
working on this study? Yeah, so the study is led by the Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium at Mayo Clinic. Um, between those two sites, we have about a dozen people who are actively working on the study right now. Um, but we're also funded by a grant from the National Institutes of Health. So we have a broader team of smoking cessation researchers who we work with. Um, and they're from everywhere from the University of Alaska to Washington State University and Stanford. And then we also work closely with um, some of the clinical directors from the tribal health organizations across the state, as well as the tobacco prevention and control specialists with the state of Alaska. So we have a, a broad group of people who are resources um, who help us connect to different parts of the state and bring in different aspects and expertise to the study. For most of those people, will that be their primary work over this five-year period, or are folks also involved in other, other research? I think most of us are involved with other research as well. Yes. How did the Mayo Clinic become in, involved in this? Was it, was it through... Dr. Patton, who you've mentioned, has done research like this in the past? Uh, yes. <laughs> Short answer. <laughs> um, so, no, she's been, she's been involved for many years, again, uh, in research, uh, in collaboration with us, collaboration with uh, Yukon Koskun Health Corporation and uh, folks out there. So um, she's invested many years in tobacco cessation research in Alaska. And, and let me ask about the sort of deliverables of this project. I know we talked earlier about potentially coming up with ideas and, and solutions. In the end, what is what will you be putting out from this work? I mean, I think also, I mean, our, our main outcome of interest is to see how effective we are at getting people to quit uh, tobacco and comparing you know, how well those who are in the incentive and in the reward arm, um, how well that works compared to people who are in what we call the control arm or who are getting standard of care and standard standard counseling around tobacco cessation. So that's our sort of primary, primary outcome. And, and after the period of the study is over, will you plan to do longer term follow up with the study participants to see, um, you know, if it's stuck, <laughs> what, what's happened uh, in the future, or, or am I talking too far out here for you guys? We will be following people. The intervention itself is uh, six months, but we will, we will follow people out to check in with them at 12 months um, and then at 18 months after they've enrolled in the study. So we will have hopefully about 18 months of follow-up on on any of uh, on the participants in the study. Uh, beyond that, um, you know, we have to have. I haven't really thought about that necessarily, um, but uh, clearly that's of interest to see. I mean, I think a lot of the evidence suggests that if you can keep people quit up to six months, many of them will stay quit. But that's why we sort of built in this check-in at twelve and uh, eighteen months. Interesting. Yeah. What is the typical? timeline it takes an individual to completely quit smoking is, is six months roughly that timeline I, I will say it's it's different from everyone for everyone and Tim can correct me if I'm wrong but one of the big things that we know is that it often takes many people several quit attempts to actually stay quit 
So um, most people are successful using quit aids. So things like nicotine replacement therapies, medications, counseling, calling quit lines, things like that. Financial incentives on studies we know are also very effective, but again, not always um, something that's provided to people. Um, but sometimes it can take, you know, five different quit attempts. Sometimes it can take a dozen quit attempts, but the the key thing for people to remember is that it's not just that you tried once and you couldn't do it, and then you try it again and you couldn't do it. It takes people a while to quit and actually stay quit. And every time that you try, you learn more resources, you build better resilience, you build new habits, you get more support around you. Um, so it's it's not just a you know you you try and quit and then you're done. And it's it's also not unfortunately you stay quit for six months and then you're done, but um, typically, if you can get people over the initial cravings and, and difficulties in the first few months, um, like Tim mentioned, usually if people can stay quit for six months, they have a pretty good chance of staying quit for much, much longer. Hmm. And I, oh, go ahead. I also want to add to um, that, that early reinforcement of abstinence is also what informed how um, when we have our check-in time points. So um, why we have weekly check-in time points at first, um, the literature shows that um, that early reinforcement, that early consistent reinforcement of quitting smoking or um, kind of reminding them of their resources will help um, to support their efforts in staying quit. Um, so that's why we do have that weekly at first, and then it starts kind of um, spacing out three months and six months. Hmm. And how does the how do the financial incentives account for potentially that back and forth? I, if I'm recalling correctly, you mentioned people do it like they use the breathalyzer type device and then get, depending on you know who they are in the study, would get the the financial reward if they had been successful in quitting smoking. But if, you know, if you're anticipating that people might keep, you know, stopping and starting, yeah, how does the financial incentive system account for that? So the rewards, um, they never lose what they've earned. Like if they um, return to cigarette smoking. Um, so how that works is their reward value would what we call reset for the next check-in. So um, we remind them that um, we remind them again of the reward that they could earn at the next time point. Um, for example, if the last check-in they successfully um, weren't smoking and earned $50, the next time um, they could earn that $50 again um, if they do quit smoking again at that next period. Um, so yeah, they don't earn the rewards that they already earned. Um, so that, um, that is something we do emphasize to hopefully, um, retain our participants. And yeah, I think overall, um, we do try to keep it as, um, encouraging and supportive as possible, even if they aren't even if they don't quit smoking at one time point, we do send like an encouraging message like you can do this, um, you're in this together, um, just to kind of um, 
motivate them to try quitting again. And I, I think I remember earlier that someone mentioned that there have been a lot of previous studies on smoking cessation among Alaska Native communities and that they haven't necessarily had noticeably positive outcomes. I'm curious, you know, what what are your expectations for this? I know we've talked about financial incentives being a promising area of study, but, you know, specifically, what are your expectations for the, the outcomes among the participants in this study? The other studies that uh, we were able to find in the literature uh, that had uh, explored use of financial incentives uh, demonstrated that sort of they had twice as many people quit in the incentive arm versus the control arm. So that's what we're hoping for is that we can, you know, demonstrate that, uh, yeah, uh, certainly more people are quit in the incentive arm. Um, and if we can, you know, research and uh, science uh, is not just built on, um, or evidence is not always just built on one study, right? It's it's iteration, it's repeating some of those same studies to say, yes, actually, you know, the evidence keeps showing that this is an effective intervention. And so um, we're hoping to build on the literature that supports financial incentive as a mechanism to get people to quit. You're tuned into The Kenai Conversation, where today we're talking about smoking cessation research on Alaska Native communities. I was hoping to go around and hear from each of you what you're most enthusiastic about when it comes to this particular project. And maybe, Antonio, maybe we'll start with you. Sure. So um, I think... I'm really curious to see, because this is such a novel concept, um, like combining family support with the evidence-based financial incentives intervention, um, I think just like developing it as a culturally relevant tool across the state of Alaska, not just the Anchorage area, I think um, will be really interesting. Like even with my conversations with participants who are in the more rural areas of Alaska. It's been really interesting to hear like um, their their needs and how much more difficult um, obtaining goods and affording things it can be in the more rural areas. So um, yeah, I think the most enthusiastic part for me really is like learning more about the different um, the regional differences and how the intervention, um, if it is found to be effective, how it could be effective for those different areas. Yeah. And Brianna, let's go to you. What are you most enthusiastic about? So I think what's been really exciting so far is as we've been doing this beta test, we can see people who do like their baseline check-ins before they try and quit smoking. And they have these really high levels on these check-in tests that they've been doing. So high carbon monoxide levels and high coatening levels. And then once they start doing the check-ins, those levels drop and they're getting rewards and they're so excited. And we see messages from people about how, you know, they started using the patch and it's been really effective. And then on top of it, they're also getting these financial rewards. Um, but even aside from that, just the people who are quitting, who are just really motivated 
by the fact that they're quitting, like they're doing this thing that's really hard. So it's, it's really inspiring to see that. So I'm really hopeful that for the randomized trial, it'll be really an important motivator, both for people who are on the rewards arm, of course, but also for people who are on the control arm, just because, you know, we're giving resources to help quit. And, and that's an important thing too. So that's been exciting to see. And Tim, what about you? So I would reiterate uh, what Antonia and Brianna have said. I think uh, I think it is sort of exciting to sort of being ex- to sort of exploring some new ideas around getting uh, people to quit tobacco. It it is such a huge burden, you know, to the individual, to the medical system, to the state. Uh, that I, and we haven't really made effect, you know, much change over. You look at the, the the data on smoking rates; it's it's stayed persistently high, and and we really need to sort of find some new, explore new ideas. Um, so I'm excited about uh, about this, and uh, I, I'm excited that I'm working with a great team of people uh, here and at Mayo, uh, and uh, folks here at the ANTHC, um, and um, yeah, so I'm enthusiastic, and I hope we can get recruitment from across the state, not just the Anchorage Matsu region. Um, So there's lots of things I'm excited about this study. When you talk about smoking rates remaining persistently high, are you talking nationally or in Alaska or both? Well, certainly in, certainly in Alaska, um, rates of rates have stayed high. And I mean, you look at uh, some of the data from the state uh, on average, uh, these, this is based on um, behavioral risk factor survey, around 36% of Alaska Native adults are, are using uh, our uh, tobacco. And um, that's, that's been persistent over, you know, the last 10 years. So or even longer. And so we just, we, we really need to um, make some changes or have people change, I guess, uh, in the world of sort of public health and tobacco cessation. Well, is there anything that we haven't gotten to yet that you were hoping to talk about that anyone had on their mind? Maybe I'll just mention that uh, part of the funding that we got from NIH uh, for this study was also to sort of uh, to host a a, a, a small symposium. Um, so we will be hosting a symposium, and uh, if KDLL would like to send a representative, I think that would be great. Um, <clears throat> but uh, it, it's uh, the Alaska Native uh, uh, Youth Tobacco Research Symposium. It'll be in March next year, um, and really trying to sort of again sort of target the 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 youth uh in this discussion look at sort of what what the research the evidence shows and how we can tackle not only getting youth to quit because that's a really important stage to get people to quit but also try to get youth not not even take up tobacco use so that'll be the focus try to bring in uh, tribal leadership into the discussion, uh, people involved in tobacco cessation world, researchers, uh, clinicians, and have sort of a robust discussion about some potential ways forward. 
That sounds super interesting. When, when and where will that symposium be? It'll be in Anchorage uh, in March. Um, we, we're trying to sort of restrict it. We don't want, it's not a huge conference type meeting. It'll be, you know, try to get some really, um, a small enough group that we can have sort of intimate discussions and conversations around the ways forward. And, um, so that, that's, that's the intent. And will the, the Minnesota based folks be there as well? I hope so. We will. We will. <laughs> well, thank you all so much. Is there a place that folks can go if they're interested in participating in the study or learning more about it? Where can people find information? So Mayo Clinic does have a clinical trials webpage that um, does outline more information about the purpose of the st- um, the purpose of the study and the outcomes that we're looking for and contact info too. Great. Well, Tim, Brianna, and Antonia, thank you so much for joining me and for talking about this. I'm super interested in the study and I will look forward to that symposium. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for your time, Riley. Yeah, thank you. And that's all for this episode of the Kenai Conversation. Thanks to Dr. Timothy Thomas, Brianna Tranby, and Antonia Young for joining us. You can hear the Kenai Conversation every week on Wednesday at 10 a.m. and Saturday at 5 p.m. here on KDLL. Or you can find it on our website, kdll.org. I'm Riley Board. Thanks for tuning in.